you can turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew 28. That's where we're going to be landing today. And for the next few moments, uh, and on your Bibles, I meant on version because that's what people use nowadays, version. Matthew 28, we're going to land uh, on a story about a man named, or a woman named Mary Magdalene. Uh, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, as I start this, year, this, this sermon today, the last word, the phrase, it's not how you, you start, it's how you one person heard it. One girl over here, me and you on the same page. Everybody else just looked at me. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I believe that. It's not how you start. One of my favorite stories is the tortoise in, in the hare. In fact, I think in our world, we live in a world where we typically do stuff really fast for a really short amount of time, and then, then we quit. That's the typical thing. We like fast diets. We like 21-day detoxes. We like to get six packs in six days. Everything has to be, be fast, but the truth is, is I believe it's not how you start or where you start, it's, it's how you finish. I told you last week my son Carter is playing baseball. My younger son Lincoln is playing t-ball. How many of all three of our campuses have anybody that's ever played t-ball? You know what I'm talking about. T-ball, I would compare watching a t-ball game uh, to putting paint on the wall and then sitting down and watching it dry. Anybody else been there? Like, if you don't have a kid that plays t-ball and you get invited to go to t-ball, lie and do not go like do not go watch anybody it's not cute it's not funny it's not interesting it is literally if my son wasn't playing I would never ever go to a t-ball game it is the boringest thing that has ever been invented in the world that in a Phillies game this year those two things go go hand in hand and, and here's why it's because most of the kids don't really care like they're they're out there they're cute they're, they're four five and six they don't care they got the, they got all the gear on we got we got kids on, on Lincoln's t-ball team that have all sorts of they got their names on the back of their helmets that was like painted on there and they got pink spikes and and because there's girls and boys don't wear pink spikes there's girls and 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 so we got all girls and boys playing and you know we've already had to deal with that why is there girls on my team and because I told them that girls play softball. I, I don't know if they do or not. Maybe you play baseball. But, but when I was a kid, girls played softball and boys played baseball. And, you know, and they kind of do the same thing. And now they're all together and they're, they're hanging out. And, and it, some of the girls are the best players on, on the team. And so I got no offense with that. Like we got a couple home run hitters that are girls. But most, most of the kids don't care. Lincoln cares, though. Lincoln's a little, he's five, and so he's going to be six in September. So he's right on the threshold of being in real baseball. But he never played real baseball before, so we put him on on this, the t-ball team, and, and he cares. And the reason he cares is, number one, is, is innately inside of him, he's a pretty competitive person. I'm not sure where he got that from. He's competitive, though. Like, he, 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 he wants to win. I like that. Like, if you got a kid that likes to win, and you like to win, you like that kid. And so I like to win. My, my other son, Carter, he's more, he, 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 he likes to win, but, but he's also more sensitive and, and, and kind-spirited. Like, Lincoln has always just been a giver, but he's also a little bit tenacious. If you push him past the certain point, he, he, he loses his temper. And so he wants to win. And number two, he's heard me talk to Carter, the conversations I have with him. I paid $125 for you to play baseball, so you have to try as hard as you can try. I don't expect you to be the best player, but I do expect you to be the best player that you can be. So you better run every ground ball out. You you better run in when, the, when it gets three out. You better do all that stuff because I paid $125. And so Lincoln has heard me threaten Carter. So we had, literally, we had one practice before the first game. And when we, went to the, when we were going to the first practice, this is what Lincoln says. He said, Dad, I'm going to try really hard tonight. I'm going to do really good. Now you say all. What I thought is you better <laughs> because I paid $125 for you to play t-ball, right? So we had a game this week, and, you know, I found out they don't keep score. 
So me and my wife, because she's pretty competitive too, I said, we're going to keep score. And so we won, right? <laughs> like, I, I, I know they shake hands and everybody played good, but, but we won. So we had a game yesterday on Saturday, his second game. Uh, we were playing against the Pirates, right? So we're playing against the Pirates. And, and here's the thing about baseball. Until you get older, you never want to play in the outfield, right? Like, if you get on the outfield in T-ball and Little League, it's because you stink. So I'm like, no, I played outfield. I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, if your kid gets put in right field, in my time, right field, center field, okay, that ball won't hit up thing. Right field or, or left field, it's because they, they, they can't catch, nor do they care to catch, and they want to play with the butterflies out there. And so they just put them out there because no one hits it out there, and they can just be cute out there. And I'm completely okay with that, but... Lincoln cares, and I don't feel in my parental guidance and love that he should play in the outfield because there's only like four people on his team that care and can catch and can run and want to get out. And so to me, you put the kids that want to, you know, dig for gold in the nose and look at it, you put them in the outfield. So we get there yesterday, and Lincoln is batting eighth in the order. If you know anything about baseball, like th- that's where Ryan Howard bats now. And so uh, it's not like the best place. It's the demotion. So he's batting eighth. And he's playing right field on the big board. And listen, it's T-ball. But everything inside of me was like, oh, no. Oh, no, they didn't. You got, you you know, Miss Digging for Gold over here playing first base. And she don't even care what's going on. And you got the the, the little girl that holds bat with the wrong hands and just is like doing this. You got all them all over. You got Lincoln in the outfield. So I didn't say nothing. Lincoln is, he... He, he, he's competitive, but he's also calm. You ever been around somebody like that? It drives you crazy. He's just sitting there. He's just enjoying it. He gets up to bat. He's having a good time. But me, I'm mad. I'm like, why is, he, why is he in the outfield? And they only play three innings, thank God. So the second inning, he's supposed to go and play in the infield. I'm like, okay, you're going to do your thing. And then right before they were going to go out, because everybody in T-ball just runs around the dugout like a fool, right? They're running around. They have this board with these magnets, and this little kid runs and knocks the board with the magnets off. So Lincoln is supposed to go to shortstop, and because everything gets messed up, they have to quickly put him back on the thing. And, and, and he ends up with, with a little, little name tag that says left field. I was like, oh, no. No lie. It was like, you're going from right field to left field, and we got all these kids that don't, that don't care about the game. No offense. But Lincoln wants to win, and he still sits there calm, cool, and collected, and he gets no action. He's just kind of out in the field, and I, I was, and I'm like thinking, this is, I would be mad if I was you, Lincoln. He's just kind of playing it cool, and the last inning he ends up getting the pitcher, and if you know anything about T-ball, that's the only spot that gets anything hit to them ever. And so all you do is you don't ever throw the ball. If you get it in T-ball, you don't throw it to the other person because the chances are they're not watching or they've run after the ball too, and it's just going to be a disaster. So you just run to the plate. So the last inning, he's getting the ball, and he's running, and he's making a couple outs. And the truth is I was like, I started to get, get happy for him and content, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be that angry parent anymore because you let him play the infield. And he got the final out of the game. He ran at home and touched the plate, and he, he honestly, he doesn't care where he plays. It's only me because I got problems. But I thought to myself, all right, it's not about how you start the game, it's how you finish the game. And they won. We kept score again in our heads. <laughs> I want to show you a picture of my, my friend Scott from last week. Can you put that picture up? Now, if you see me, I'm the one in the back looking like a fool, ruining a perfectly Kodak moment. <laughs> I'm not sure why that happened, but it happened like that. So this is Scott. Scott. He, he, he works out at, ch- at the church on Sunday. He does all the video editing stuff at all three of our campuses. He is responsible literally for the day. So if it messes up, you know where to send your complaints to Scott. And so uh, he's right there. 
and that's his dad, right? I don't know if you're a parent, but that, that right there, that's a moment. Like, you got some moments with your kids, that's a moment. So Scott's hugging his dad. We've just baptized him. He's the last person out of the, last, the two services of close to 70 people that got baptized. I'm not sure how many got baptized here. Judging from the water on the floor was a lot. And he came up and he got baptized. And if you don't know the back end of the story, uh, that, that's what's touching. The back end of the story, if you've watched the videos that we produce, him and his wife Jess, they were in a video a few months back, and you kind of heard his story of where he's been, what he's gone through, the addictions he's had, the prayers that his parents prayed over his life. Maybe you have a Scott today. Maybe you've been, you've been kind of down about the Scott in your life that's kind of wandering away from Christ. I hope that picture is an encouragement to you that, that if the heart's still beating, it's still not over. And I, they hugged, and I was there with them in the, in the tank, and I was kind of just an innocent bystander. I was trying not to cry. And after service, my wife was crying, and the reason she was crying is because it was a touching moment, but we were also thinking about our, our boys and, and just their life and just how, how much we want them to know Jesus like Scott knows Jesus now and how thankful that his parents were. And I just thought to myself in that moment, it's not about where you start. In fact, it's not even about what you've done. It's not about where you've been. It's not about who you've done it with. It's not about the mistakes that you've made. It's about where you finish. Some of you say, Scott's story is not finished. I would argue the, the details of that, and I would say, yes, Scott's story is finished, and now Jesus' story is just beginning to start in his life. Like, he is just tapping in to the, to the God-given potential and ability that he has. And it's been a pleasure to stand back and look at it. But what I want to talk to you about today is I believe there's other Scots that are listening to me in this place. I believe there's people at Plymouth Meeting and at Limerick that you could relate a lot with Scott. Maybe you have a hard time relating with the pastor up front because you think I kind of, I get paid to do this and this is my job and I have to say things like this. And maybe you can relate better to a man like Scott who, who ha has had his life changed by Jesus, and it has not been about where he's been or what he's done or the mistakes that he's made, but his life is now about where he's, he's going. It's not about where you start today, it's about where you, you finish. If you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 28. The title of my message is, is Alternate Ending. God has an alternate ending for your life. That's point one, just for some of you who are type A, and you're like, when are you going to get to point one? Point one. Most important thing I want you to take away. Maybe you're only going to remember, you know, what I say over the next 10, 15 minutes. You're only going to remember something really small. I want you to remember this. God has an alternate ending for your life. I don't know if you're a movie fan. I like to watch movies occasionally, movies that move me, movies that encourage me, movies that make me laugh, movies that make me cry. Like, I like movies. And I don't know if you knew this about movies, but many movies are taped with two endings. Many movies are, are taped with two endings, and then they're tested out on a, on a preview audience to see which ending is going to go over the best. There's a few movies that I researched this with. You, if you're old like me, you remember the movie Pretty Woman. Julia Roberts, when she was still important in Hollywood, was in Pretty Woman. She was in this movie, and I'm not, I've never seen the movie, uh, but, but what, from what I could tell, she was a prostitute that gets hired by Richard Gere. It doesn't really start off that well, but they end up falling in love and, and getting married. But, and that's the ending that we all watch, and that's the ending that we all celebrate, and that's the ending that some of you girls have cried to. 
And if you're a dude that's cried to that, we got another sermon for you next week. And so anyway, but that's the ending. But the, but the, but the other ending, the, the original ending was, that was actually the alternate ending. That was the ending we all liked. The real ending was that Richard Gere pays her the money he owes her and sends her back out and she goes back into the street. That was the other, that was the original ending. Like that movie is not successful. We hate that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen I Am Legend. More relevant, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Will Smith, DJ Jazzy Jeff. You know the Fresh Prince. If you don't know the Fresh Prince, you, you, you're young. And so you're not old like me, but, but Will Smith, he, he was an I Am Legend. I like I Am Legend. It's about zombies and the world ends and all this stuff, and it scares you. Don't watch it at nighttime. You know, in I Am Legend, he seems to be the only living person. He's living in the middle of New York City, and it's shooting deer and all sorts of crazy stuff. He has a dog that, that ends up dying. The only time I've ever been touched by an animal in my life was in that scene. I was literally like, no, not the dog. It's a really, really tough movie. The, the original ending for that movie is that the zombies were actually kind people. And they were just mad at Will Smith for stealing one of their own. And he finds out that they're really just kind zombies with, with feelings that we can all relate to. And they all end up being okay. That's an awful ending to that movie. There's no such thing as a kind zombie. The real ending, the alternate ending, is Will Smith blows himself up and a bunch of other aliens to save the people that are still living. That's an ending we can all relate to. The movie Rocky, you know, that had a different ending than what was really ended, how it ended. You know, the original ending of Rocky, how it should have ended, is he was supposed to throw the fight with Apollo Creed, get the money, and start a pet shop for Adrian. That is an awful movie. That is awful. How did it really end? He tied with Apollo Creed. He beat Apollo Creed. He beat Mr. T. He beat Hulk Hogan, right? Kind of. He beat the Russian America always beats the Russians. If you're a Russian, I'm sorry, USA, all the way, right? No matter what, we beat the Russians. We can lose anybody else in the world. Can't lose to the Russians. The alternate ending. There's a woman in the Bible named Mary Magdalene. We don't, we don't know much about her life. We hear about her a few times in the Bible. Sometimes she gets kind of stuff added to her story, like some people have thought that she was the woman who washed Jesus' feet with the alabaster jar. We're not sure. Some people thought she was a woman that Jesus saved from getting stoned when she got caught in the act of adultery. We're not really sure. We do know certain things about him, about her. And, and what I have found is when you, when you know certain things about the person, that's what you should focus on. We also know how her story ended. It's not where you start, it's how you, you end. This is what it says in Matthew 28. It says, after the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. The other Mary was Jesus' mom. There was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. That wasn't your mama's angel right there. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I mean, that, that, this, dude is, this dude is instilling some fear in the Roman guards. These, these guys are tough guys, and this, this, this angel comes, and he looks like lightning. He's dressed in, in white, and they, they play dead. I don't know how scared you got to be to act like you're dead, but they acted like they were, were dead. They, they stayed completely still, and then they run. And this is what the Bible says. Angel of the Lord said then to the women that were there, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. 
And go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman turned and hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with, with joy. Could you imagine this? Afraid yet filled with joy. They thought it was over. A lot can happen in three days. It says, suddenly Jesus met them. I think this is interesting. The very first person that Jesus decides to appear to after the resurrection is Mary, Magdalene and Mary, his mother. Greetings, he says. They came to him and clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. See, if you read this story quick without knowing any of the background, you're going to think, that's cool. Mary Magdalene, Magdalene saw Jesus, first one, pretty awesome. Mary, his mother, that was a good choice. But to me, I go, man, it's crazy that he picked her to appear to first. And here's what you have to understand. Mary, her, her ending or her life or what she's known for is actually an alternate ending. There, there was a period written into her story, but then Jesus put a, put a comma and rewrote the ending. He, he edited the e ending. He, he came into what was otherwise known as a dead end of her life and, and interrupted the program to change her future. See, I think that that needs to be encouraging to somebody in this place today at Phoenixville or at Limerick and at Plymouth Meeting or watching online that maybe Jesus has a different ending to your story. Here's two other things I want to encourage you with. Number one is this, is you need to know in this place that every saint that you're sitting by has a past. Every person who comes into the presence of God and admits to having a relationship with Him and sits in a church service and is a part of a, of a church culture, that, that if you don't understand this truth about them, that you don't understand Jesus at all. Every one of us has a past. Maybe you've been with somebody and you're like, I've never had a past. I've been perfect forever. The chances are they're still living in their past. They just don't know it. Like every one of us that sits in the house of God, in the presence of God, we would all look to you and we would all be able to say to you, every one of us has a past. Every person in the Gospels, every person who we talk about, they all have a past. Listen to what else we know about Mary. You see, we know who Mary was after she met Jesus. And here's how we've, we've determined how we should talk about Jesus at our church. Is we should be able to tell you who we were before we met Jesus, when we met Jesus, and who Jesus has made us into. If you can't answer all three of those questions, chances are you don't have a relationship with Jesus today. Some of you might say, well, I've just been a Christian my whole life because my family has been a Christian. And we're, we're, we're at this Lutheran or this Mennonite or this Assemblies of God or this Baptist church or we're Catholic and we're just in. It doesn't work like that. A belief in God doesn't get transferred from generation to generation. That's a decision that every person in the generation has to make. So if you can't answer, here's who I was before I met Jesus, here's when I met Jesus, and here's who I've been since I met Jesus, chances are today maybe you need to meet, you need to meet Jesus. But I think Mary Magdalene could answer those questions. I think she could tell you who she was before Jesus, who she was when she met Jesus or where she was, and how her life changed after she met Jesus. And here's what we know about her before she met Jesus, this is what it says in the book of Luke chapter 8. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Check this out. Mary, called Magdalene, from whose seven demons had come out, she met Jesus there. Jesus had given her a redo. 
he had given her another ending to her, her story, an alternate ending. We know who she was before she met Jesus. She was filled with seven demons. Some of you say, that sounds, that sounds so scary. Does that really happen? Do people really get oppressed and possessed by demons? I would say, absolutely, just walk around this earth. How does anybody take their life? How does anybody get on something they can't get off, constantly taking, and even though they're going to hurt them? How does anybody get into relationship after relationship after relationship, knowing they're going to be abused verbally and physically? How does that happen? We are possessed and oppressed by Satan. And the Bible says not only is she uh, uh, possessed by, by demons, she's possessed by seven demons. Now, if, if you read the Bible and you read it quick, you can miss details like that. But there's no detail in the Bible that's there by accident. Numbers always represent something in the Bible. The number seven represents complete, completeness. What the writer is saying is Mary's story was complete. She was going nowhere fast. She was in a cycle that she would never get out of. She would constantly struggle with her past. She would constantly be reminded of the mistakes that she made. She was a mess. Every saint has a past. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, in a cycle that you just can't seem to get, to get free of. You see, in this place, we don't, we don't glorify our past. But we would admit that we all have a past. We're just not a product of our past. See, for you, maybe you're just a product of your hurt and your shame and your pain, and all the things that you've done. Here's what the Apostle Paul says, who his past was, he was a murderer. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Just so you know, that's how you know Jesus has changed you. When you walk around and you say, I don't even deserve where I'm at. Anytime you begin to think you deserve anything that you've been given, Anytime you start to have an argument with God about how you deserve all these things, you don't understand the gospel. Because here's the truth. If Jesus never gives you anything else besides forgiveness of sins, he's already given you more than you've ever deserved. Like, he is, he's good. And that's what Paul says. He says, I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve to be an apostle. Watch this. Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Every saint has a past. Sometimes I like to read about just the great men and women of the Bible. And I have this thing that I, that I keep just with me uh, in my computer that I could go to read just how the, they kind of experienced the past and they were still used for great things because sometimes you just feel like you don't deserve to be used by God for anything. And then you read about the men and women of the Bible and you're like, every one of us, we all got a past. That's what makes us a club. We are a dysfunctional club of misfits. That God uses for great things. And then you read about them. People that we think were amazing. Like Abraham. His, his problem, he was just old. Some of you are like, why'd you do that? Look, he made you look young. He was 100 years old. Sometimes when you get old, you just start to say to yourself, I can't do nothing in my life. I'm too, I'm too old. This old dog has done too many, too many tricks. I'm just in the form of a habit. Listen, I don't care if you're 99 years old. If God calls you to it, he's going to do something special through your life. He's too old. His wife, she laughed at God's promises. Moses stuttered and questioned God's judgment in picking him, and then he killed a man. David, his armor didn't fit him when he was young, and when he got older, he killed a man and had an affair. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. I've always been struck by that. Hosea, his wife, was a prostitute. Jacob was a liar. Lazarus was dead, so we're already above him. The Apostle Paul, or the Apostle John was self-righteous. He constantly called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He, had, he didn't have 
insecurity issues. The Apostle Paul spent his life murdering Christians. Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal. And Samson, a great judge of the Bible, if you read the book of Judges, he did the one thing God told him not to do and cut his hair. Every, 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 every person that sits in this room with you at our campuses, every one of us, we all have a past. Every saint has a past. Some of you look at your life and you go, I'm not good enough. You came into the right place because none of us were good enough. Every saint has a past. And number, number three, you need to believe every sinner has a future. Can I just encourage you with those words? You know what it says in Isaiah 53? It says, surely Jesus took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds... We've been healed. And then it says this. It says, it says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. Every saint has a past. Every sinner, I believe, has a future. Every sinner. If Mary can be the one that gets chosen to be the first person at the tomb to see the risen Lord and the risen Savior, Jesus Christ... And her past was demon-possessed. If the Apostle Paul can go on to be the greatest missionary this world has ever known, go into parts of the world that had never heard the gospel, to start churches after he was a murderer. If Peter, who was just a normal fisherman, and quite honestly, kind of a moron, he makes me feel really good about myself many times because I can relate with Peter. I told you before, when, we get, when I get to heaven, I don't think me and John are going to have much to talk about. But Peter, I think I can relate with him. Peter goes on to be a great man of God that leads the early church, growing and reaching people far from God. Matthew's a tax collector, which means he was doing something really bad. You put him right up there with, with a pimp, somebody that's selling children into sex slavery. That's what a ta- tax collector was, an awful man. Jesus picks him to be one of his first disciples. Every sinner has a future. Every sinner has a future. And here's what I know. The past doesn't have to be your prison. I read this this week and I loved it. Max Lucado, a great Christian writer. He says, you have a voice in your destiny. You have a say in your life. And you have a choice in the path that you take. You have a choice today. You can believe that your past is is your prison. It's going to keep you there forever. Or you can understand that you've come into a place and what we believe is that God has an alternate ending for all of us. Some of us are living that alternate ending. Some of us know it. We know where we would have been, and we can't believe where we are with Christ. We can't believe what we get to do. We can't believe how that our life has transfixed itself or or the direction it's moved into. We also know along with that that we all have a past, that we don't glorify our past, but we are so thankful that we are not a product of our past. And then we look around and we... We hope that every person in this place, at our other campuses, watching online, that you would understand and you would grasp the reality that we believe every sinner in this place, they have a future. The only reason I call myself a saint is because I have a Savior. The only difference between me and you and why I call you a sinner is because you've never met your Savior. I'm not better than you. I haven't accomplished anything credible or important. I only stand up here by the grace of God. I know where I would be and I know what I would have been doing. 
But Jesus changed me and he has given me a life, quite honestly, I don't deserve. And I know that's what he's in the business of doing. He's in the business of rewriting your story. And I believe every person in this place that is far from God, that you have a future today. That he's a God that puts everything right. That he took everything wrong about your life on himself so that he could give you everything right about himself He's the God who puts everything right in your life. Every relationship, every issue, every amount of baggage, every unforgivable offense that you've experienced, he puts it right. He releases you from that prison. He gives you a new lease on life. He rewrites the ending of your, your story, and it's the end of you, and it's the beginning of Jesus. Would you stand up with me all over these houses? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? I want you to listen to this story as I close, and if you could just imagine it with me for a second. Some of you have little kids, and you know little kids, especially little boys, they do stuff without thinking. They just do. You ask them why, you get no answers. This little boy named Johnny, he was visiting at his grandma's house. I want you just to picture his grandma's house is out in the woods. That's pond, woods. And grandmas do what grandmas always do. They give kids stuff that their parents would never allow them to have. She gave him a slingshot. Johnny went out into the woods and he was throwing the, st the stones at stuff and whipping them around like David in the Bible. If you don't know who David is, you figure out somebody else in your head that shoots a slingshot. I don't know anybody else ever did. He's hitting nothing. I mean, just throwing it, nothing. He can't even hit a tree. He's walking back to his grandma's house and he sees a duck picks up a stone, he puts it in his slingshot, and without thinking, he swings it around, and he throws it at the duck, and the first time in the history of his life, he hits the duck, falls over, and dies. I picture the woods, the pond, he's at grandma's house, he loves grandma, she gives him everything that he wants, his parents would never let him have a slingshot, and he just killed her duck, and he takes her duck, and he runs out into the woods, and he does what any little boy would do, he throws it, he kicks some dirt on it, and he runs back, and he walks in for dinner. And he sits down and eats dinner, and he is stressed out about the mistake that he has made, but he's also convinced that he's going to get away with it. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life. You're stressed out about the mistakes that you've made. You think you're just going to get away with it by living your life, but the truth is you know you're not getting away with it because you're still thinking about it, and you're still dealing with it, and you're still struggling with it. So he sits down to eat dinner. And Sally, his sister, sitting there, and Grandma and Grandpa, and they eat dinner. Good Grandma, home cooking, and... And Grandma gets up and she says, Sally, it's your turn to clean dishes. Come on, let's clean some dishes. And Sally looks at Johnny and she says, I think Johnny wants to do dishes tonight. In fact, I know Johnny wants to do dishes tonight. And Johnny looks at her and says, no, it's not my turn. And she leans over into his ear and she says, I think it is your turn. I don't want, remember the duck? Remember the duck? I think it's your turn. So Johnny gets up because he knows he killed the duck and he doesn't want Grandma to know and he cleans the dishes the next morning. It's time to hang up the laundry. Going to go hang out the, the dirty, the clean clothes on the thing. And Grandma calls Sally. Sally, it's time to do the laundry. Come on, it's your turn. It's your turn. Johnny did it last time. She says, I think Johnny wants to do it for me. Remember the duck? Remember the duck? So rejected and dejected, Johnny walks out and does it. Three or four days of this, this garbage goes on. This manipulation. Evil Sally. Finally, Johnny has enough, and he comes to, to Grandma, and he says, Grandma, I killed your duck by accident. You gave me the slingshot. 
So technically, we're in this together. I killed your duck. I threw it in the woods. I kicked some dirt on your duck. I'm sorry. And I've been keeping it from you. Grandma looks at Johnny, and she said, Johnny, I was at the window when you killed my duck. I saw you do it. I knew your sister knew you did it, and I was wondering how long you were going to allow your sister to shame you into doing her chores before you would just come to me and admit you made a mistake. And she said, Johnny, I love you. I don't care about my duck. I always love you, no matter how bad your sin is or how many animals you kill. I'm going to love you. I've been waiting for you to come back to me. You see, if you're in this place and your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and you say, you know what, that's, Johnny's me, I'm going to, I think I was going to come back and pay for my sins. That's, that's, our, that's our mentality. My story's bad, the ending seems to be coming, and I'm going to try to pay for my sins. I'm going to pay for the mistakes that I've made. Can I tell you something? You'll never be able to. You will be in a cycle of oppression. Satan will lie to you. He will steal from you. And eventually he will kill you. He will take everything good from you. And then you have a heavenly father. And he loves you. The Bible says while you were still a sinner, while you were busy doing the things you were doing, making the mistakes that you were making, running away from him, that he loved you, that he died for you on a cross for your sins. And I can promise you right now that he wants nothing more than for you to stop carrying your story in your hand. Carrying your shame, carrying your burdens, carrying your, your pain. But you just give it to Jesus. He has a different ending in store for you. Every one of us in this place that knows Jesus knows that we all have a past. And every one of us is praying that you would believe that you have a future in Christ. That where you put a period that Jesus is writing a comma right now. And he is rewriting the ending. He is taking an eraser and he is dabbing out your mistakes. And they say paid in full. His name is Jesus. He, sh- he saved me. He changed me. He bought me at a high price. And he doesn't love me because of me. He loves me because he is good. His love is one directional. We get that confused all the time. That I didn't reach up to God and get his love and I don't perform for God to keep him interested in my life. And I'm not doing religious things to make sure the favor of God is on my life. That God reached to me. That he loves me. That where I sin, that grace increases in my life. That his love for me is not there because of me. But he's loved me in spite of me. Every sinner in this room, you have a future. Every one of you. And we know that because every saint, we have a past. The only thing that's separating you right now is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, the same way Mary, when she met Jesus, her life was changed. The same way when Paul, he met Jesus, his life was changed. The same way when Peter met Jesus, his life was changed. That's what happens. You meet Jesus and he changes you. He releases you from your past. He breaks addictions in your heart. He forgives your sin. He gives you the ability to forgive those that have sinned against you. He gives you a new heart. The Bible says you become a brand new creation. The old is gone. He's barging in to this already running episode of your life. And he's making an announcement. And the announcement is, I've rewritten the end. I've changed the programming. I've edited out what should have been. And I've edited in my story for your life. 
There's an alternate ending, just like Scott. Maybe you're Scott in this place. You need to trust Jesus with your life. At our Limerick campus and Plymouth meeting, your campus pastors are standing there. If you're in this place, the Bible says that we need to confess with our lives that Jesus is Lord. We need to repent of our sins. We need to make a, a turn towards him. And that happens with your words. It also happens with your actions in this moment. Maybe you just need to say, you know what, today is going to be my day of salvation. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. I don't even understand it all. But here's the thing. I can't live one more moment in this story I'm living. I can't wake up one more morning with this feeling that I have. I need Jesus right now. And the Bible says when you call to him, he's come running to you. He is here right now. He's knocking at the door of your heart. My question is, would you let him in today? With nobody looking around right now, you say, you know what? I need the alternate ending for my life. I need God to rewrite this story. I believe I have a future, but my future is only found in Christ. And today I'm going to pray with you, Pastor, to invite Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. You talk to him just like you talk to a friend. He is here. The Bible says he sticks closer than a brother. If you're in this place and you say, you know what, Pastor? I need to have a relationship with Jesus right now. I need an alternate ending to this story. My story is a broken mess. I need Jesus. I believe he can change it. I believe he can change me. I believe he can redeem me. I believe he's the God who puts everything right. I'm going to stop dealing with my past. I'm going to give it to Jesus. He doesn't say clean yourself up and come to me. He says bring me your mess. I've already handled it. I've already cleaned it up. Become a new person in me. If that's you in this place or other campuses, you just shoot your hand up in the air and say, you know what, today is going to be my day of salvation. I see your hand uh, right here. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me at our other campuses? I see another hand uh, right here. Thank you so much for responding to the gospel. Is there anybody else? I see a hand on the right over here. Church, would you just pray? Every sinner in this place has a future right now. Every one of us has a past. So we pray and we thank God that we're not where we were. And we thank God for what he's doing to bring people to where we are right now. That's a sinner saved by grace. Is there anybody else? I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to give you a couple more moments to respond to the gospel at our other campuses. Just shoot your hand up in the air. I believe I have a future, but my future is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Is there anybody else? Is there anybody else in these moments that say, you know what? Today I'm going to give my life to the Lord. We're about to pray, friend, and when we pray, all you need to do is talk to Jesus like you're talking to your friend. Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior. Your prayers reach his heart, and I believe that he is changing your heart right now. Is there anybody else? I see another hand right here on the right of me. I'm just going to keep staying right here because people are still responding. I know you got to eat lunch, but we're changing people's eternities right now through the grace and glory of Jesus Christ. Just continue to pray. It's the most important decision and the most important time in our church. Come on, church. This is why we give. Anybody else say, Pastor, that's me. That's me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We love you so much. Just like the Apostle Paul says, we know who we were before we met you, and we know what we deserve. We can't believe that you give us a different ending to our life. The Bible says we all like sheep. We've all gone astray. That means we are all in this mess together. That there's not good and bad people in this place, but this is a hospital for broken people. And Lord, you're You're the surgeon that has opened up our hearts, Lord, and you are taking out all of the pain and all of the shame and all of the sin and all of the regret and all of the anger and all of the bitterness right now. You are taking it from us. You already died for us for that stuff. 
And Lord, you are replacing it. You are the God who makes everything right with a new heart, with a new mind, Lord, with a new direction in life, with a peace that surpasses understanding. Jesus, we believe that you died on a cross for our sins, that you were placed in a grave, and everybody thought it was over, but oh, how much can stuff change in three days? That you rose from the dead, and you told the apostles, go everywhere and tell everyone about me. And we have proclaimed your name, and the Bible says when we, when we proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ, that you will draw men and women to yourself. And that's exactly what you're doing. Like a loving father, you're drawing them to yourselves. They feel your love. They feel your warm embrace. And Lord, they, they understand that they have a relationship with you, not because of anything that they accomplish, because they are putting their faith in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ on that cross 2,000 years ago. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for changing peoples forever right now. Everything we do, every penny that we give, every prayer that we pray, Lord, this is the reason that we do it. Jesus, you are good. You are good. We're thankful for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, would you clap with me?